This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. There is little doubt that the FBI is lawless and corrupt. The Bureau secretly spied on Americans and directed social media companies to censor political views and stories it didn't like. Smoking gun documents supplied by the so-called Twitter files confirm it. The damning evidence is contained in more than 150 FBI emails exchanged with the platform's trust and safety chief, Yul Roth, a progressive proxy for the government who gladly capitulated. Some of it was done to unduly influence the 2020 presidential election in favor of Joe Biden. Attorney. Fox News legal analyst and two-time New York Times best-selling author. This is the brief with Greg Jarrett. Billionaire investor Michael Pinto has a warning for you. Don't listen to anyone who tells you how bad the crash will be and when it exactly will happen. Nobody knows. But the CEO of Wells Fargo warns the worst is yet to come for Americans. Pay attention to the economic data. Inflation is at a 40-year high. And make no mistake about it, the recession is real, no matter how the White House tries to change the definition. That's why Bloomberg, Goldman Sachs, and Jim Cramer are all calling for gold to surge. Gold and silver have historically moved opposite the stock market and in the long term can preserve your purchasing power. Call 800-809-8500 and Lear Capital, the number one rated gold company, will present the same trusted options they have been giving successful investors since 1997. At Lear Capital, most IRA rollovers qualify for no IRA fees for up to five years. Their current incentive offers up to $15,000 in bonus silver for well-qualified new customers. A three-minute call can protect your portfolio with the power of real physical gold. Call 800-809-8500 today. Again, that's 800-809-8500 and tell them Greg Jarrett sent you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Citizens should be outraged at how our nation's premier law enforcement agency abused its powers for purely partisan reasons. It worked to suppress conservative dissent, pushed hard for censorship, and furnished lists of accounts to be suspended or banned. The FBI's malfeasance constitutes an egregious violation of the First Amendment. In simple terms, the agency conspired with Twitter to crush free speech. As many as 80 FBI agents, 80 of them, were assigned to the Surveillance and Censorship Project. The task force monitored both stories and derogatory tweets. 
You'll find this information in the sixth installment of the Twitter files, courtesy of Substack writer Matt Taibbi. Quote, Twitter's contact with the FBI was constant and pervasive as if it were a subsidiary, Taibbi wrote. The seventh installment, provided by independent journalist Michael Schellenberger, shows how the FBI and the intelligence community, quote, aimed to discredit leaked information about Hunter Biden before and after it was published. They primed Yul Roth to dismiss reports of the laptop as a Russian hack and leak operation, Schellenberger wrote. Of course, that was a lie. The laptop was real and its contents incriminated Joe Biden as complicit in his son's multi-million dollar influence peddling schemes. The FBI knew the laptop was the genuine article because it seized it in December of 2019. Top officials examined the device, discovered smoking gun evidence, a cavalcade of crimes, and then they buried it in the bowels of the Hoover building where no one else could gain access. Documents show that Twitter officials also realized that the Russians had nothing to do with the laptop, but Twitter willingly went along with the FBI's pretense. Together, they publicly discredited the laptop with the help of 51 former Intel officials who falsely branded it as Russian disinformation. It was a consummate dirty trick. The FBI Twitter collaboration, oh hell, let's call it collusion, was not coincidental. Half a dozen former FBI officials joined or infiltrated, if you will, the social media company, including Jim Baker. You remember him, one of James Comey's cronies. He helped fuel the Russia hoax. Twitter and the FBI became one big happy family, Taibbi concluded. None of their devious actions were taken pursuant to a criminal investigation or based on a probable cause of wrongdoing. No, the FBI did all of this because they could. Previously released Twitter files show that the FBI pressured Twitter to censor the Hunter Biden laptop story in advance of the election. Blacklists were composed. They targeted vocal conservatives and critics of Joe Biden. Disfavored tweets were prevented from trending. And account holders were banished based on completely phony grounds. Shadow banning was deployed as a powerful political weapon. Evidence proves that Twitter executives deplatformed then-President Donald Trump Despite their private admission, there was no legitimate basis for doing so. As long suspected, the FBI played an integral role in all of this. In early December, new Twitter owner Elon Musk ordered the release of the social media's internal communications in an effort to rebuild the public's trust through transparency. But unbeknownst to his new boss, Jim Baker tried to cover up the FBI's machinations by cleansing the Twitter files over one weekend. Musk caught on, he fired Baker. Additional unsanitized Twitter files then emerged. Schellenberger reported, quote, 
as of 2020, there were so many former FBI employees working at Twitter, they created their own private Slack channel and a crib sheet to onboard new FBI arrivals. The Bureau's censorship campaign intensified with the goal of killing the laptop story. Together, the FBI and Twitter set up a virtual war room, noted Schellenberger. As Deputy General Counsel Jim Baker was at the helm of it all, he was instrumental in getting the New York Post damaging story censored and discredited in advance of the balloting by convincing or manipulating Twitter into doing it despite the platform's reservations. And all of that helped Biden get elected. Now, it should come as no surprise that FBI brass denies any fault whatsoever to hear them tell it the Bureau is as pure as the driven snow. Consider its recent word salad in response to the Twitter files. Quote, the FBI regularly engages with private sector entities to provide information specific to identified foreign malign influence actors, subversive, covert, or criminal activities. Private sector entities independently make decisions about what, if any, action they take on their platform and for their customers after the FBI has notified them. End of quote. All right, let's break that down. The first sentence is complete bullshit. Any sentient person knows that. And the second sentence is a demonstrable lie. Twitter did not act independently in any sense of the word. To the contrary, the Twitter files prove that the FBI penetrated the social media site, then engineered a powerful censorship machine through manipulation and coercion. Those who did not strictly adhere to the Bureau's political persuasion found themselves blacklisted. Dissent was silenced, stories suppressed, and all of it worked. A month after Joe Biden won the presidency, Baker sent a congratulatory email to his FBI cohorts thanking them for protecting Twitter users and voters from, quote, misinformation, disinformation. In other words, mission accomplished. If your outrage antenna is going haywire, get a load of this. Documents show the FBI paid Twitter more than $3 million in taxpayer money for doing its dirty work. They called it a reimbursement for the time the platform spent in countering a foreign influence operation that was, in reality, an FBI domestic influence campaign. Now, naturally, the mainstream media is ignoring the scandal exposed by the Twitter files. Why? A couple of reasons. First of all, the files themselves underscore the media's own journalistic malpractice in dismissing the laptop as fake news or Russian disinformation. Indeed, it was neither, which the press was forced to belatedly admit. Second of all, the media actually adores censorship when it harms Republicans and helps Democrats. Reporters in their news organizations do it themselves all the time. They long ago abandoned their commitment to free speech principles, objectivity, and fairness. They prefer 
restricted speech that slants and smears according to their own political preferences, which are decidedly liberal. Joining me now to talk about it is author and reporter Michael Schellenberger, who released the latest Twitter files from Elon Musk. And Michael, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're terribly busy with all of this. Let's jump right in. Just how intertwined were the FBI and Twitter? Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, Extremely intertwined. I mean, one of the funniest things, I almost didn't include it in my tweet thread, but it, it actually ended up being one of the most popular parts of the tweet was that when James Baker, the former chief counsel of the FBI, arrives at Twitter, he's welcomed by other former FBI agents. There's so many of them that they have their own internal messaging system on Slack. They have their own little crib sheet to onboard former FBI agents. In fact, the former deputy chief of staff was at Twitter, had arrived shortly before Baker had, So the picture you get is one where there's this very intense pressure campaign on Twitter by FBI, FBI agents in San Francisco working on the Foreign Influence Task Force, really hyping the supposed threat of Russian disinformation. And then you have these former FBI agents within Twitter who ultimately, of course, this all culminates in the demand that the Hunter Biden laptop story be censored. And the person leading that charge is James Baker within Twitter. So you see a sort of inside outside strategy when you really pull back and you look at all the evidence. Boy, it really looks like an organized effort. And for that reason, I do think there needs to be a serious investigation of what exactly was going on in Twitter and outside of Twitter in terms of the FBI's involvement. I wrote a couple of books, Witch Hunt, The Russia Hoax, and in it, Jim Baker is featured because he played a pivotal role in fueling the Russia hoax, the allegations of collusion between Trump and Russia, which turned out to be completely unfounded. He was instrumental in crafting the FISA warrants to spy on the Trump campaign um, by what appears to be deceiving the FISA court judges. He's general counsel at the FBI, and suddenly uh, he lands about five months before the presidential election in 2020 at Twitter as deputy general counsel. Um, How many of these FBI guys, in addition to Baker, were there at Twitter? Any idea? Uh, You know, it's funny. I haven't I just have been so busy with the work. I haven't done a count. I see other people have been doing a count. You know, it's not just FBI, it's CIA, it's NSA. There was a lot of them. And, you know, I think it's important to point out that some of it may be justified. I mean, there is a lot of, you know, cyber crime. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of stuff that I think all of us would like to see the FBI working on preventing child exploitation and human trafficking and That sort of thing. It's what's disturbing is when you start to look at this pattern, doesn't seem organized around stopping those crimes. It seemed organized around really hyping the so-called threat of Russian disinformation. And, you know, I think early in the Twitter files yesterday was number seven. There was earlier ones where there was a lot of criticism, including I was making of Twitter staff for really bringing in a pretty heavy progressive bias 
into their work. They definitely deserve scrutiny for that. But what I revealed yesterday is Twitter executives repeatedly going to FBI and saying, look, we've been looking for Russian foreign influence and we're just really not finding anything. I mean, there was at one point like they said, oh, well, we found about 350 Twitter accounts with some linkage to Russian hacking and whatnot. Um, But they were like very low follower accounts. They had very few people that were... um, following those accounts. And so it was just like a big nothing burger. There just wasn't much going on. Right, right. The FBI was apparently, you know, seeing a Russian behind every door and people at Twitter weren't seeing that at all. Let me quote you, if I may, um, from some of your analysis. The FBI, quote, primed Yoel Roth, a top executive at Twitter, to dismiss reports of the laptop as Russian hack and leak operation, end of quote. That's what you wrote. So how exactly did they do that? Did they prime Roth to dismiss the laptop? Well, this is super interesting. I mean, so they, and by prime, this is sort of a, strategy of psychological warfare, psychological manipulation, where if I sort of prime you to think about something, you'll tend to see it somewhere else. It's sort of like when you get a new car, you see that car everywhere else, you're primed to see that in in, in the world. And so if you really look, if you pull back and you look at this, there's clearly, it, it appears to me, I should say, that there's an effort to influence this particular Twitter executive named Yoel Roth. And it's occurring both within the organization and outside of it. And one of the, the, the wildest things I discovered is that Roth was invited to a special Aspen Institute workshop with journalists from top newspapers, New York Times, Washington Post. It was headed up by the former executive of NPR and uh, New York Times and NBC News. And they literally went through what's called a tabletop exercise to run a kind of scenario of how to deal with an October leak of information about Hunter Biden. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Um, You know, it's hard not to be somewhat suspicious that somebody knew what was going on. Now, of course, it's important to keep in mind the FBI had Hunter Biden's laptop. They'd had Hunter Biden's laptop since December of 2019. So all of what's happening in 2020 that involved the FBI, you have to ask, do these other FBI agents know that FBI had that laptop? Now, I think they would say if you grilled them on it, they'd say, oh, no, we didn't know. It was all super secret within the agency. Maybe. But that's why you need to do an investigation. The other thing that we know is that Rudy Giuliani, who gave the Hunter Biden laptop to The New York Post, he was under surveillance by the FBI. So. There needs to be we need to find out if there was an organized effort by the FBI or elements within the FBI to manipulate these Twitter executives so that when the report, when the story came out, they would be primed, conditioned to want to censor it. And and because when you when they interviewed them afterwards, they said they said themselves, we had been prepared by the FBI for this uh, Hunter Biden uh, hack and leak operation. Well, and if if Giuliani was under surveillance and he was, they knew that he was seeking to publish the contents of the laptop. And the FBI, having had the laptop since December of 2019, knew 
some of the incriminating information contained therein. So, you know, you sort of put two and two together and you know that that this may get published right before the election, which in fact it did. So the FBI knew this was coming, right? And they they seem to be spending months prepping for how to suppress it. And, you know, frankly, they succeeded, didn't they? Well, they really did. I mean, the moment that the New York, the New York Post story comes up, Roth, again, the Twitter executive, he says in internal communications, he goes, our team has looked at this and we see no violation of our policy. There's no evidence it was hacked. Keep in mind, the New York Post, when it published that article on October 14th, 2020, they included in it the receipt signed by Hunter Biden dropping off the laptop at this computer repair store. They included the subpoena from the FBI to take possession of the laptop, which serves as a kind of receipt from the FBI. So anybody who looks at it, they go, well, this doesn't look hacked. This looks like it was a whistleblower, which is precisely what it was. By the way, you know, of course, you know, various folks have attempted to disparage these various characters, but the computer store owner himself sat on this hard drive because he had made a copy for, you know, nearly a year before reaching out to Giuliani and saying, maybe somebody should look at this. Um, so, yeah, they knew right away that it was they, they knew the evidence was that it had not been hacked, that it was the result of the whistleblower. They said that. And within a couple of hours, Jim Baker, former FBI chief counsel, persuades them to reverse their decision and to uh, put us to censor this the, in the New York Post. Now, eventually, Twitter sort of reversed that. But I think what's important here is that they had discredited it. And I should say, I know they did because they had that impact on me and on my family. I did not think that the Hunter Biden laptop was real at the time. I thought there was too much uh, uncertainty around it. So the disinformation campaign, we know for a fact it worked. Many progressives and many Democrats simply dismissed it because of that Twitter censorship and the Facebook censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop. Um, all right. So the New York Post publishes it October 14, 2020, early morning hours on the night of October 13th, just hours before the Post story breaks. FBI agent Elvis Elvis Chan. This, this is the guy that had been working with Twitter, weekly meetings with Twitter, Facebook, other social media companies. Chan sends 10 documents to Yul Roth at Twitter via a special one-way communications channel. Now, that's no coincidence, hours before the story is about to break. What do we know of, about those communications, if anything? Yeah, so they... So the context here is that the FBI is constantly trying to engage more with Twitter. It's like when you read these exchanges, it's a little bit like somebody who is trying to court somebody or seduce somebody who doesn't really want to be seduced. You know, the the Twitter executives are constantly trying to kind of keep some distance. They the FBI is asking for information that that Twitter has said that it would not provide outside of a warrant. Um, constantly having to refuse, kind of wearing down the Twitter executives. At one point, FBI finally gives some top secret classic, you know, security clearances to some of the Twitter executives, and they create this one-way communication system called Teleporter 
to be able to send documents to Twitter secretly. I have not been able to get my hands on these documents yet. The ones that were sent the night before the New York Post article, I am still trying to get them. Um, it's not a matter of, it's just a challenge of there's so many documents and it's not easy to find everything. But again, I think this is, you know, we're limited in what we can do. Um, there's so many documents. These The folks, people are very careful. You see people moving conversations to telephone. This is why we need a real investigation of this, because if the FBI has been as politicized as it appears to have become, that's a real that's a really dangerous situation. It's our top law enforcement organization. It's a law enforcement organization that we depend on to clean up other law enforcement organizations when they when they go bad. So, um, yeah, we're not totally sure what that was, but I found it extremely suspicious, which is why I mentioned it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I hope you get your hands on it. Um, it's no coincidence either that 51 former intelligence officials immediately after the Post story breaks pens this public letter calling the laptop Russian disinformation, all the signs of Russian disinformation. None of the 51 had examined the laptop. In fact, they hadn't even examined uh, the the published contents or, or the contents within uh, the laptop itself. So they had no idea that this was Russian disinformation. It turns out <laughs> this was U.S. intelligence disinformation, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, that's so interesting, right? I mean, so it looks like the pattern appears to be that the FBI – People within the FBI and people outside the FBI are running a disinformation campaign aimed at news executives and social media executives, especially when you consider the broader activities. You know, um, I don't know what was going on with the Aspen Institute exactly, but that seemed to be important. I mean, the perception I get as someone that's fairly new to this issue is that the intelligence community is accustomed to exercising a significant amount of influence and control over the news media. I'm actually, frankly, quite appalled by the extent to which reporters run stories based on just what people in the intelligence community tell them without really verifying those stories. And and so we see there's just very little Russian influence on any part of American political life. There's just not a lot of influence on Twitter, no influence in the news media. At this point, of course, everybody hates Russia. There's like very a lot of suspicions around it. And so the real effort here is to hype this threat of Russian influence really came out of 2016. You know, even there, when you consider the fact that John Podesta was hacked, you know, um, not through some elaborate Russian government effort, but by, by phishing effort, by somebody getting him to basically give them his password, which is a very cheap, you know, high school student kind of <laughs> trick. Um, yeah. It's just not this great, you know, threat that people imagined. And so you had them hyping this threat. And really the far greater threat is that you have the FBI, you know, which supposedly works for the people pursuing a partisan political agenda. Um, and that's, you know, obviously and unaccountable to the people doing it secretly. And their main method of it is precisely what I was saying in the beginning, which is it's to leak stories to reporters and then reporters create the, you know, the, one of the things that they would do, and I, I had not never knew this was even a tactic, but they would, you basically go get somebody in the FBI to look into something. You then have an FBI agent go tell a politician or political candidate or somebody 
that they're being investigated. And then they leak that to the news media. So the news media then ends up running a story about a political candidate or a politician. The most famous example, of course, recently is Donald Trump saying, oh, you're under investigation. And that creates an air of criminal activity, of impropriety. It really delegitimizes a person. That's why it's, um, you know, that's why they, they're always trying to snuff it out. You know, I mean, it's notable to me that James Baker had himself been investigated by the FBI in 2017 and 2019, precisely for leaking information to the media. So this is a practice that needs to be stamped out. It needs to be, it just appears as though either there's, there's rogue agents out of control that may be brought under control under an apolitical, depoliticized FBI, or this is coming from the top, which is even scarier, and it needs a serious independent prosecutor or congressional investigation or both to get to the bottom of what was going on. Speaking of potential rogue FBI officials, um, the name Elvis Chan continues to come up. He was meeting weekly uh, with Twitter execs. He's a special agent out in San Francisco. He was organizing these meetings um, and also communicating with Twitter in some 150 uh, of these emails. Chan's name seems to be prominent. I thought I recalled him from my coverage of the Russia hoax. So I looked at his 400-page deposition in a related censorship lawsuit, and sure enough, page 237 of his depo, um, Chan admits that, yeah, he worked with uh, Jim Baker, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, the whole gang of the FBI during uh, the Russia hoax. So, you know, there there is another like-minded connection, the same group of people involved in that uh, particular scandal now involved in this, you know, Twitter suppression censorship uh, scandal. So he plays a role in this, doesn't he? Yeah, I can't quite figure out, Chan. I mean, I, you know, sometimes I think, is he just a pawn in all of this? Um, you know, he sort of shows up in a bunch of different places you know, Yol Roth says that the FBI was telling him to be on the lookout for a Hunter Biden laptop story. Chan, in his deposition, says, oh, no, 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 we never said anything about that. Roth got that wrong. I found that a little suspicious. I found another thing suspicious, which is that Chan, whose job it is to basically monitor Twitter and be engaged with Twitter, at one point said, asked Twitter, he said, is there anybody there with top secret clearance? And the Twitter person says, well, there's James Baker, you know, who just came from the FBI and was your, you know, was the chief legal counsel at the FBI. And Chin responds, oh, ha ha, how could I have forgotten that? I have to say, I, I read that and I just found that um, it, it, st- it stood out. You know, I just thought that's that's a weird thing to say, in part because, you know, I think it's a natural human instinct that when you when you are reminded of something that you should have remembered, I think a lot of us, the natural human instinct is to tell a white lie and say, um, oh, yeah, 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 I, I knew that, you know, and, um, you know, it, because we're a little embarrassed, you know, um, and so I found, especially in a professional context where it's like your job is to know that like the super senior executive at FBI just came to become a super senior executive at Twitter. 
And then to say, oh, I had forgotten that in the context of asking for a senior person with a top secret clearance, I found it very suspicious. And it looked as though he was sort of doing that to sort of tell or sort of make clear to the person he was speaking to that he had no prior relationship with Baker. It seemed a little bit like um, too much, uh, you know, he protested a little bit too much or something. So again, these are things where you have your suspicion. It looks very, a lot of smoke. We don't, I, I can't prove that that's what's going on. But again, that's, that's, you know, the job of a special prosecutor or a congressional investigation is to look into what was going on exactly. It's to get in there, get the, get the files, get the communications, get these guys in private rooms and ask what, what was going on exactly? What kind of an operation were you running here? And were you reporting to other people? And did it have objectives that were um, unstated objectives to, to what was going on? Yeah. It, after the Twitter files came out, I went back and looked again at Chan's deposition. And in light of those files, it's clear that he is totally soft peddling and minimizing what the FBI was doing. Um, let me ask you this as we wind this up. Uh, my guest is Michael Schellenberg, uh, Schellenberger, who is... Uh, been writing, uh, came out with the latest uh, Twitter file seven. But the FBI's recent statement, Michael, in response to the Twitter files claims, uh, oh, we're just providing information to social media companies. No big deal. Nothing to see here. They took whatever actions they wanted. And here's the key word, independently. But, Michael, that's not true. The internal communication show the FBI was directing Twitter to censor, to suspend accounts, to banish certain people from Twitter. They gave them a list. Here's some people um, that that's more than just allowing a social media company to act independently based on information you're providing. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, there was there's much more to learn, but the FBI, what comes across in the communications is the FBI expressed almost a sense of entitlement to have influence over what Twitter was doing. It would ask for accounts to come down. It would it's very strange. You know, it would often say things like this person appears to be violating your terms of service and playing a kind of role of getting people off of Twitter and playing the role of, of Twitter executives, which is wrong in the sense that, you know, there's no, there was sort of no, no respecting of boundaries. The behavior of some of these FBI agents and the FBI, it struck me as kind of a creepy, kind of like a creepy dude who's trying to get in with a girl that he's got a crush on and wants to control. It struck me as, um, I just found it disturbing and, um, yeah, something that um, I think just needs to be looked into a lot more. Author and reporter Michael Schellenberger uh, released the latest Twitter files from Elon Musk. Um, thank you, Michael. Uh, I'll let you get back to it. I, I can hear your keyboard at work. I know you're busy. Uh, we look forward to your next installment of the Twitter files. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for joining me.